always more for God, of God for us to experience. And, and that phrase that I use often is we linger. We linger as young Joshua, a servant to Moses, lingered. You read in... Um, The Gremlins of Technology. I will try this one. You can hear me? What was I talking about? Well done. Very good. Thank you for reminding me. Lingering. So young Joshua lingers in the presence of God at the tent of meeting. And uh, in the olden days before Jesus, the tent of meeting was recognized by the people of God as the dwelling place of God. And so... That, to me, is this picture of us, as we've just done through worship, entering into that place of God's presence to glorify Him. And, and I don't think we should rush away from it. I don't. I, don't. I don't ever want to rush away before God's finished doing what He's prepared for me in that moment. So, linger we shall. And uh, may you be blessed by that. Um... I was going to uh, just, just try and describe something to you, um, because last week I shared with you very briefly that I'd uh, just uh, done a quick trip back up to Indonesia. We've got a project that's starting up there, which I'm very excited about, with um, building of a Bible school to support the existing Bible school. We're talking about a building. Um, and while I'm there, it's just a completely different world than here. Uh, if you ever want to come to experience that, please make yourself known to me. We don't tend to like put out lists and recruit for the trips. It's more about those that are already in conversation with me about it are the ones that get drawn into the planning. So if that's on your heart or God's stirring you, uh, then please come and see me. Uh, if you're not sure about that, then ask Stu for his testimony. Uh, he's on the back desk uh, because he did once, uh, made, made the bold move of talking to me about God, what God was prompting him in, even though he wasn't comfortable in it. And as a result of that, he's now been with me to India a couple of times, and Indonesia several times, and then on his own back goes off and helps the program in Indonesia. Um, so, but come and talk to me. So the life in Indonesia is, is somewhat different than here. And um, one of the things, this is me being really transparent now, so you have to just extend grace to me. I'm not feeling it. Grace, say grace to you, Phil. Grace, grace upon you. Okay. One of the things very important to me when I travel is how I look and the manscaping that's necessary for me to look this good. And so I have discovered more grace. Yeah, <laughs> Clearly it's not working that well, but um, uh, just across from where I stay, I'm going to call it a hotel, but that is, uh, don't you use your filters to call a picture of what a hotel is. Uh, but anyway, across the road from the hotel is um, my local barber. And I say that because I like to visit him. And uh, a haircut and a shave in Indonesia is very different to what you might experience in New Zealand. Uh, for, for instance, when you ask for a shave, they pull out one of those old blades and they snap it open and they change, the, the, well, I make sure they change the blade so it's new, and then they lather you up with soap and they flick you back horizontal. You're completely out of control. There's no way you could get out if you tried. And they begin to... To shave you. Well, uh, that, that is an experience in itself. And one time Kathy was there, she got to see me have one of those shaves, and I'm sure she was praying more than she normally does. Uh, but it's, it's, still, it's still good. But the haircut's another thing. And clearly I place a lot of value on style. You can tell that just by looking. 
Anyway, I thought I'd show you what a haircut's like when I travel. So, have we got the sound up? Because you want to hear this. There's the sound. So I keep my hair short. No, that's true. This, this is that you get a massage with your haircut if you're really, really prepared to pay the four dollars. Um, you get the full service. Why did I show you that? Well, here's my challenge for us at the beginning of today. When was the last time you read the Bible and it felt like that? Because you know, I think we read the Bible to feel good sometimes, and and. And I often say, and I don't mind continuing to say, read the Bible for relationship. This is the Word of God, and we read in John chapter 1 that the Word came to live with us. So there's a connection there with who the, the Jesus is, the person of Jesus, and then the Spirit of Jesus by revelation. So the Word of God is how we connect with God. But I also find sometimes that we read the good bits, and often... Even last night we were quoting, well, someone was making a joke at the table or at dinner... Uh, at Greg's place, and someone half quote or quoted half a scripture. I said, "Oh, don't forget the second half of that verse." You know, we pick out the good bits, and uh, so here's my prayer. This is a setup, so you can get uh, uncomfortable in your seats because I'm praying. I've been praying all week that the that the word of God would be like that haircut for us today. So lock the doors. <laughs> And let's get into the scripture. And today, like, I'm just going to draw my message on the whiteboard. Uh, if technology works, you'll be able to see that on the screen, so you'll be able to read it. Um, but often, as I uh, do when I draw my message on the whiteboard, I just say, look, come up afterwards and take a photo of the whiteboard. And then you've got the notes. You've got the same notes that I've got. And if you've got the same Bible, then you should be fine. So I want to I wanna, uh, dig into this today, and I want to... Uh, I want to talk, and this is where the song choice today was just so on point, because I want to talk about the journey between the prophetic promise and walking in promise. No, no, let's call it, let's call it the promised land. Because how many of you know that when God gives you a promise, it's most often not Instant delivery. You know, like dominoes, where you just dial up and 20 minutes later you get what you wanted. Man, if God was like that, how fat would we be? You wouldn't need faith, yeah. So, so perhaps the, the journey in the middle here is all about God working in us, shaping us, maturing us, and preparing us for what he has prepared for us. But today, you know, because I, I mean, last year, you, you should not be confused if you were here last year about where we're going. You know, I, I purposefully 
narrowed our focus last year and drilled deep into what God is saying to us as a church. It hasn't changed for the last couple of years. It's about the, the vision we have to reach a thousand people a week with the message of Jesus Christ, that we would activate community transformation through our, our, our gathering as a church and the social work that we do and then discipling and developing others uh, into their purpose. That, that story hasn't changed for a long time. But we're not there yet. So today what I want to do is I want to talk about the chaos of tension. And it's the tension between what we know God has said as a promise and what we're currently experiencing as our reality. There's a cliche that is often used by preachers, you know, that the Lord is, so I'm going to get cheesy now, this is that dad joke moment, but you know, there's this, this thing that God says, I'm taking you from glory to glory, but it does feel like hell in the hallway. There's that transition season is my memory's gone. <laughs> so this is, this is like um, the distance between what we promised and what we want to experience, but in the middle there's chaos, there's tension, and, and, and we need to realize and acknowledge what it feels like. Because how many of you are in between a promise that was given and a promise received? Anyone? Yeah, and it feels different. It feels challenging. It feels uncomfortable. And yet, this is God's design. And I want the scriptures to arrest us this morning and show us that, oh, actually, God is always in control, even if it's not always comfortable. So, we're going to talk about the wilderness. We're going to talk about the wilderness and the tension that we experience, which actually feels like chaos. So, this is in the Bible. This is the wilderness season with God's people. And it began when God gave them a promise to a man through a burning bush. And he said, I have heard the cries of my people. And I remember my promise. It's in the end of Exodus 2 and the beginning of Exodus 3. And therefore, says God, I have heard their cries and I will respond from heaven. And he comes down and makes himself manifest in a bush. Have you heard the story of the burning bush before? Exodus chapter 3. And, and there's a, a guy who's like a shepherd looking after some, his dad's father-in-law's sheep in the wild, and he's wandering around. And, and I love it that the Bible says Moses saw and turned. God got his attention. And then Moses has to do something about that. So if you read the story, and I encourage you to, uh, Moses goes back to where he had run away from, uh, Egypt, where his people were, and he says, oh, well, I'm going to do what God said, and, and there's a stick and a snake and leprosy and some cool stuff that God does. Um, and then after that, it goes downhill. Let's just focus on the people of God. So there's a season over here that I'm going to call Grizzle. Look it up in Exodus chapter 5. Exodus chapter 5, um, Pharaoh gets upset about God deciding he's going to release the people. And so he says, well, you're going to make more bricks as my slaves, but I'm going to take away the straw. So they grizzle to Moses about the workload. They're like, come on, man. 
You and your big fat mouth go and say to Pharaoh that you're gonna, God's going to rescue us. And now look at us. It's just hard work. Grizzle. Grizzle. Then God does some cool things. And, and I am skipping over it for the sake of time. But they escape after the plagues. And they get to this place where they are standing between the shore of the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army behind them. And they hear the thunder of the chariots. It says Pharaoh chose the best chariots that he had and he set out after the people of God. And so the nation of Israel, who have just walked out holding their fists up in defiance and taking the plunder that God promised them, and they march to the edge of the sea and they go, oh, it's a dead end. They turn around and they hear the thunder of the chariots approaching them. So in Exodus 14, they are filled with fear. Moses, why did you lead us here for us to die? At least we had graves when we were in Egypt. What happens? God delivers them. Moses stands and said, fear not, for today you will see the mighty hand of the Lord before you, and he will deliver you. And he raises his stick, and the Red Sea parts, and they trundle through. You've heard the story, eh? Right, okay. And, and then what happens? Um, Egypt and Pharaoh and all those army guys, they, they trot after them into the sea, and then... Okay, all right. You watch the movie if you haven't seen it. And then they sing a song of praise, and then they get to Exodus 15, and they come to this place, Mara, and they're like, oh, man, you brought us all this way. And you give us bitter water? Are you joking? Moses, what are you doing to us? Like, at least when we were in Egypt, we had nice water. You know, the filter system was good, and we had it on tap, and it was pretty hot, but we could still survive. Moses, who do you think you are? It says the people grizzled. Wind is another translation. It's like, stink. And they're in the desert. So they don't know where they are. They have no place that they can call home. There's a promise, God said, that they remember he gave to Abraham. It got passed down through Isaac and Jacob and now uh, into the 12 tribes that are the nation of Israel. But it ain't feeling like what we remember the promises. Chaos of tension. So then they, uh, Moses uh, uses his stick again and God changes the water. But in the very next verse, they say, you know, this is good, but like, we can't get any food out here. We've got nothing to grow because we're moving. We can't experience the goodness that we had and the soup and the fresh fish that we enjoyed while we are in Egypt. You lead us out here to die, and we're hungry. This is, it's not good. And they grizzle about being hungry. The food that you've got for us is not good enough, they say. God says, I heard your grizzles, and I'm going to show you that I'll provide for you fresh manna every day, but you will eat this manna for 40 years. And so grain-like substance would fall in the dew 
of the night. And they would wake up in the morning and it would be covered all over the ground wherever they were and they would gather it together and they would grind it down to make a pasty kind of what we would call a dough to make flour and bread. And that was their meal. God provided for them every morning. It was out there. They could gather it. Wherever they were, God would make sure the manna was available to them. And then they carry on walking and they get to a place in Exodus 17 and they're thirsty again. They're like, there's no water here. We've got our animals that carry our, our tent and we've got our children who are dying in the heat and you bring us to this place and it's dry and it's barren and there's no water. And God just opens it up in front of them. He shows them, take your staff, he says, walk out in front of the people, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile, call them and I will stand before you strike the rock and water will come gushing out. So Moses struck the water as he was told and water gushed out as the elders looked on. Moses named that place Massah, which means test, and Meribah, which means arguing. Because the people tested the Lord. If you read the book of Exodus, and I encourage you to, it parallels with numbers, we're going to jump across there in a minute. What you'll find is there are 15 instances where the people grizzled. 10 out of those 15, they were directly testing God. Because God is quoted by Moses as saying, the Lord said, the people have tested me 10 times. So why am I telling you this? We have to think about how we choose to live in the chaos of the tension. This, this season here, this is, this is our challenge. How do, how do we choose to live there? How are we going to respond to the uncertainty? How are we going to respond to being thirsty or hungry? How are we going to respond if we're actually not sure what's going on? The chaos of the tension is, is basically... Your reality. Let me, let me give you a completely different example than the people walking through the, the jungle, or the, the desert, I should say. God's given us some amazing promises when we read Scripture about what heaven's going to be like when we spend eternity with Him. Some of us will take time to argue whether that heaven is in the clouds or on this earth, that, that it's renewed. Uh, some of us will wonder what we get to do all day, and is there, there's not Facebook, what on earth are you going to do? For eternity. And what if you can't sing, but you've got to sing? And, 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 and what about the, 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 the throne room? Like, do we get to see that? Tension of the unknown. When's this going to happen? Well, Jesus told us only the Father knows. So, so we've got this prophetic promise about uh, the invitation to live in partnership with God for eternity, and yet we, don't, we can't describe it. We can't define it. We can't put the expectation out and say, oh, well, that's what my job's going to be and I'm going to be okay because you know, I'm going to be one of the lieutenant, lieutenants and I'm going to go out and you know, do some cool things. You have no idea. I have no idea. You know, what about faith? You know, like, um, why do some people get healed and some people don't? Well, only God can answer that. Has Jesus done everything that is required for people to be healed now? Yes, because the Bible tells us that. But is that our reality? No. Have I seen people 
Have I prayed for people and them not be healed? Yes. Can I explain it? No. Does that change my faith? No. This tension is just God's, God's design for us, and we've got to give up the right or the demand to have all the answers and learn to live in the chaos of tension. But we sure as heck do it well. Because there are consequences for how we choose to operate in here. It's a bit somber. Let me give you some good news. One of the things that happens that I love about Exodus 19 and 20 and 21 is that God says, Moses, climb the mountain. Come before me. And I will come down in a cloud of fire, and my presence and my glory will be around you, and I will speak with you as a man speaks face to face to his friend. And so in Exodus 19, we read the first instance of the scripture that Kathy read at the beginning of the service, which was written by Peter. He was quoting this when the Lord says, I will call you out as my special treasure from among the peoples, says God in the beginning of Exodus 19. And you will be my kingdom of priests ministering to me in the authority I've given you. You will be my holy nation. This is the message, uh, Moses, you must give the people. It's a promise there that we will be royalty ministering unto God as we um, manage, if I could say that, administer his authority in the world. This is an awesome promise. And God says, come up the mountain so that I can share with you. And, and, and the, the outcome out of this, if you, if you read Exodus 20, so this is Exodus 19 and 20, but if you read Exodus 20, you will see that there's a, an invitation by God to come into a life of partnership. So let's write that down, partnership. Inside a covenant to experience favor and blessings. Some people call them the Ten Commandments. Well, that's what they're commonly referred to as. Shane Willard, who's a Bible teacher, he did a wonderful job in helping us understand these uh, uh, teaching that we went, some of us went to last year. And he said, in context of the Jewish mindset, you have to understand these are not rules. This is a, as, as, it's a father inviting a bride into his family to be wed to his son. And he says, when you understand the love that I have for you, you will serve no other gods. When you understand the love and the sacrifice that I'll give for you, you will honor your father and mother. When you understand the extent to which I would go to rescue from your, yourself, you'll never steal or kill. Why? Because you ex experience who I am. They're not rules to receive love. They're ways that we live because of love. And this invitation to partnership that God's given every single one of us. Exodus 20, really, really cool when you look at it as, as an invitation into a covenant of love rather than demand for performance. There's nothing in God's heart that says his love is conditional on who you are, how you behave, or what you choose to do. Nothing. Your behavior does not separate you from God's love. 
but the consequences change how you experience it. And this is what we see in the journey. The chaos of the tension is the people travel through the wilderness because they're trying to wrestle with how do we live, understanding that we're designed to live in this favor, but also not seeing it before us. And we're struggling because we're confused. It's hardship. I'm hungry and I'm thirsty and I don't know what to do. We've got to learn to live this well. We have to learn to live this well. There's another side. I'll just put this over here. Uh, I, look, I'm not going to give you all the answers today, but I encourage you to have a read of this because I've been, I've been diving into it and asking that God would help me because this flows out of my frustration, my tension of the now but not yet of life with God, and I want to do it well. Because the choices I make affect all of us. But this is the worst side of the picture. As I said to you, 15 instances where they grizzle, 10 of them where they test God. Let's just look at a couple of them. Exodus 32. Moses up the mountain at a leadership conference with God. Maybe he's on a missions trip, I don't know. He's, he's absent. And the people say, oh, this guy, he's never here. We don't know where we're going. Come on, let's, let's take another way to worship and receive God's blessing. And they melt down all of the plunder that they took from Egypt. They make a life-size version of a cow that's made out of gold, and they worship it. God says to Moses, hey, hey, I need to cut the conference short. You better get back down there because when you see what the people are doing, you're going to flip out. And so he goes down there. Moses rushes down there. But the fire of the Lord ravages through the camp. And about 3,000 people were killed by the fire of God. Testing God. Numbers 11. Testing God. Let's go there. Numbers 11. This is where they're sort of trying to find their way. And so they, they keep walking. And, and it says there that foreigners amongst them began to crave the good things of Egypt. And they said, offer some meat. Remember the fish we used to eat? We all had the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the garlics, all we ever wanted. Where we were, at least we got fed. We were in bondage, but at least we got fed. Moses heard all the families grizzling and whining. It says in my Bible, whining. And the Lord became extremely angry. And then Moses says to God, why are you treating me so harshly with these pathetic people? What did I deserve? What did I do to deserve the burden of these people? Did I give birth to them? Did I bring them into the world? Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a mother carries a nursing baby? How can I carry them to the land you swore to give their ancestors? I can't do it. Just kill me. It's Moses' prayer. Numbers 11, he's praying. And God says, come on, Moses, sort it out. Gather some leaders, I'll sort it out, and I'm going to come down and I'm going to take my spirit and put it on them. But God says, purify yourselves, because I will come before you. Numbers 12. You keep reading the story. Numbers 12, the people grizzle. Aaron and... 
um, Miriam, who is Moses' sister, start a revolt and gossip. And they start speaking against Moses, his own flesh and blood. And they criticized Moses because actually he'd married uh, a woman, but um, they said, really, does God speak through this guy? The Lord heard them. And immediately there was a conversation that ended with Miriam being consumed with leprosy and cast out of the camp for seven days. Numbers 14 is when God, uh, sorry, Moses sends 12 spies into the land, the promised land, to go and check it out. And they spent their time there wandering around, and I don't know if you remember the story, but they come back and they said, look, the land is rich and it's flowing with milk and honey and grapes the size of basketballs. Well, they didn't have basketballs then, but grapes the size of big boulders and, and there's, there's plenty of good land for us, but, but the people are large. And they're like giants, and we would be grasshoppers before them, and they're very, um, very strong, and they're fortified cities, and we will be crushed if we go in there. Joshua and Caleb, two out of the twelve, say, no, no, look, the Lord is for us, the Lord has promised we should go in and we should take this land. And the people listened to the ten and not the two, and as a result, they turned away. And the Lord said, no, you will not experience the promise, and the generation that now lives will not enter the promised land. A horrifying thought for me, as I reflected on that this week, is that some of the children walked with mum and dad until they died. And they had to sit in their manor and their water and watch their family die around them. That adds to the chaos and the tension, doesn't it? But I want you to see something. There's also a couple in number 16. I won't go into those. But I want you to see something here because I want you to know something. Every one of those instances, and there's more, but every one of those stories that I just referred to, there was something specific that needs to be captured for us to be encouraged. Every single one of these, Moses interceded the people. Every time God said, get out of my way, Moses, I will strike them and I will, re- I will erase them from the earth, Moses says, no, Lord, you cannot, for your promise extends from Abraham. And if you wipe out your people, other nations will say God was not strong enough or faithful enough to bring his promise to pass through Abraham. So Moses was on his face before the Lord, praying for the people that they would journey well through the chaos of tension, that they would survive the wilderness season as best they could, that they would rise into the promise God gave for them. There's got to be a church that prays to survive. There's got to be a people that gather together in unity, that we would be interceding in the journey that we would do it well. There's this invitation God's given us to come into a place, but it's not always comfortable. I I, I try, I was thinking about it even this morning in my quiet time, just wondering how far to take this. And I'm like, well, what does it look like in the natural? It looks like gossip. 
It looks like division and arguing. It looks like vomit. It looks like isolation. These are practical words that describe what we can experience as real people in a family. You know, because I talk about family all the time, and there are some that come and say, well, it doesn't feel like family. And I never said family was perfect. The moment you walked in, it wasn't perfect. The moment I walked in, it wasn't perfect. Why? Because we're not perfect. None of us are. There, but for the grace of God, go I. Just this week, I had to sit with my team and ask them to forgive me. Why? Because I'm not perfect. Sometimes what I do is painful for others, and it hurts them or it causes a bit of stumbling. And Eugene and I sat with him this week, and I'm like, guys, I'm sorry. You've got to forgive me. I am not perfect. What does that mean for you? You've got to walk in forgiveness. Recognize that others are not perfect. And if there's an offense, sort it out. Have humility. And go to someone and say, what I said was wrong, or what I did was wrong, and I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? But, you know, what am I saying to my leadership team at the moment? Well, this is normal in the chaos of tension. People will throw things at you. People will say things about you. I, I emailed the elders in the middle of the week. I said, guys, watch out. Your leadership. That means there's a target on you. Not deliberately, but it happens. So cheers to the elders for standing with me. Why? That's just, it's life. It's the journey. It's the, what God's called us into. But this is why the song choice today was so brilliant, because I will not let go of the promise. What God has said to us, we believe with such a strong conviction that we're willing to fight for it, even though we might not experience it. Like a Domino's pizza delivered in 15 minutes. If I could get the band to come back, this is news, so announcement, the band can come and join me. I think I want to do... Um, do it again, song three. And um, we're going to finish with this song as our prayer. Because here's, here's my question for you, and I'm going to leave this with you. This is the unfinished part of the message. And I wrestle with this because in all my training, um, one of the things you're not supposed to do <laughs> is leave you in a place with unanswered questions. But I really felt the Lord say to me, no, they are not babies. They do not need to be bottle-fed. If they come to me with this scripture, I will speak to them. So I want, I want, want you to ask God, how do I live this season Oops. well? I, mean, I, can, I can preach here what I do. I can give testimony to my lifestyle. But I felt the Lord say no. No. Invite them to seek me, that they would find me in this place, to understand that there is tension, that there's sometimes chaos, sometimes there are un unanswered questions, but we're called to live together, because that's what covenant and family says. You know, the, I, I talk about this all the time. We're called, not by me, but by God, to live life together. If you're part of this church family, then we define that as a covenant relationship. We take it incredibly seriously. What does that mean? Inside a covenant, there's room for disagreement. 
There's room for tension. There's room for arguments even. There's room for wrestling to find freedom because love conquers all inside a covenant. Those of you who've been married more than five minutes will understand what I mean. Inside a covenant, there's place for healing. There's place for identity. There's place for personal growth. As you invite God into that relationship, he brings his love to bring favor and blessing. So I'm going to pray. And uh, I pray that you search the scriptures this week. Search God's heart. That you'd live the season well. Because I tell you what, until God says move, we can't move. You know, someone was saying the other day, what about this and what about that? And I'm like, good questions. When God answers that question, we'll know. The Bible shows that when the cloud moved, the people moved. When the cloud didn't move, the people didn't move. So what has the Lord called me to do at the moment? Stand and stand firm. And not to move. And that we must hear him and move together. Lord, I thank you that you are the God of the promise. You've called us, invited us into a partnership, a covenant with you where we can do the journey toward the promise. But God, in the midst of this chaos and the tension of what's unknown, I pray for grace. I pray you'd speak to each person that as we sing this prayer, our faith would rise in obedience to follow you. And Lord, I bless every person here, every person that's gathered with us as family today. They would know that you are near to them. Lord, may their comfort be that you do not forsake your children in any season, but that you are always with us. I bless them. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, I bless them with the comfort and the nearness of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And may they know that the Father of all loves them deeply. Let's sing.